This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. And. Ah, I am there. Okay, I turned my volume down, so then I couldn't hear my own self. Wow. Thanks, Bob McGee. Appreciate it. Appreciate the nod. The chuckle there. Ramya Amuthan, uh, my co-host at the Home Studio in Toronto. I'm at the Home Studio London, Ontario. It's because I was playing around with my sound, my volume, and all of a sudden, I couldn't hear myself screaming at myself. So I thought, uh-oh, right. I'm not there. How are you today? I, I thought you were giving me space to introduce myself because you said Kelly McDonald and... Oh like, my oh, goodness! Should I be jumping yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's so funny the, the the things that you think and well and, and again we've done this a while so there's a lot of time you, you know you anticipate uh, and you ride with it and, and then technology gets involved. That <laughs> says no, that's not exactly what he was doing. I was just hushing him up because we're we're done hearing of him today. Yeah. So. Uh, that's another thing I, we don't do a lot is acknowledge that that's the, the wonderful voice of Bob McGee, who does our, our of course, during the shout breaks. Out. So shout out to Bob. Appreciate that he's been doing this for the program for over six years as well. And I think uh, we're so used to hearing him. And, you know, I've had people say, who 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 does the voice? Oh, Bob McGee. Yeah. And Bob McGee, of course, around the Toronto area, uh, for years very well known in broadcasting and uh, doing ID voices and uh, commercials. It's always fun when uh, I'm, you know, listening to a radio station or, or, or TV, and along comes Bob's voice. It's it's always wonderful. Mm, it's true. Yeah, and I so. love all the specialized because we we hear it day to day on our regular introductions to the show, but also the special, you know, holiday editions and. Special programming, things like that. He's he's always there for us. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, appreciate it. And, of course, between in-breaks and everything like that. But you can take them for granted. So, whew, I'm glad True. Bob shows up every day. Let's see what's <laughs> coming up today here on Kelly and Company. Showing up in a little while, because today on In the Know, Margaret Weldon highlights two inclusive touring initiatives that are out there. Great story out of Alberta. A researcher is aiming to boost mental health support for farmers. Albertan Farmers and Jim Crisco is going to bring us up to speed on the initiative. November 14th is recognized as World Diabetes Day by Health Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe answers our questions about diabetes during the second hour of Kelly and Company. Please stay tuned. So uh, a couple of tech things, if we get the both of them today, um, I, I want to just touch on. Maybe we've got some comment, particularly about this first item here. CEO Mark Zuckerberg has uh, says that his Facebook parent company um, is laying off 11,000 people as it contends with falling revenue and broader tech, uh, technology woes that are out there. The layoffs account for about 13% of the company's workforce. This summer, Meta posted its first quarterly revenue decline in history, then followed that by another bigger decline in the fall. 
The company's biggest revenue source, advertising, is facing headwinds as companies like Apple institute stricter privacy settings. Meta is also facing increased competition from popular social media platforms like TikTok. Mark Remillard, ABC News. So very predictable, but we've been hearing this, um, I don't want to say demise of Facebook. That's that's not even remotely where they're at at this point. But we keep hearing every year a decline, but it still stays reasonably relevant, Ramya. Yeah, I mean, reasonably relevant, I guess, is okay. But when you think of figures and dollar amounts, you know, is that really cutting it? And we've seen so many businesses just absolutely decline to the point of not being able to uh, continue, right? So I guess it's different seeing it as just like a a person checking out stats. But if you're in the company, in the, the process, uh, is it making that much of a, a difference and jolt? Yeah, and other things that are associated with are they carrying, you know, Facebook along? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as the creator of it, you start saying, hey, okay, uh, you know, how long? And when you create anything, you never know how long it's going to hang in there, what it's going to look like by the end of it, uh, if such an end is, you know, is ever, ever happen. I mean, everything comes to an end. But, I mean, in, in a reasonable lifetime of uh, a service like this or a platform, mm-hmm. um, you, you just, because you know what it started out as, it won't even remotely look like uh, five years later, 10 years later, or at its end. So interesting to see what can continues because they keep putting those little plugs in, becoming a little more relevant, and then having the same struggles. But you hate when jobs are being lost, and we, we see so much of this yeah. going on, of course, recently with Twitter. And sadly, it's because people move on yeah. so quickly that, you know, you can bounce back. But are you really going to have that same impact as when you initially were able to grab all these people? Well, as we read our Apple book last month, we noticed that mm-hmm. two people, their time would come to an end, whether it was the company or themselves saying, hey, I've been asked to come join this group. I'm off yeah. to do so. Very fascinating as, as life offers up those those opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, would you tell us and the book of the month what we're reading this month? Yeah, this is a fascinating read. It's called The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. Uh, it was released in 2022, recommended to us by our community reporter in Picta County, Nova Scotia, Julie Martin. It's human narrated on Sela. It's also available on Audible. Um, it's an unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper. It's based on a true story. And they say in the snowbound city of Kiev, Ryan Book, uh, Bookish history student, Myla Pavakanovo, um, organizes her life around her library job and her young son. But Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. Given a rifle and sent to join the fight, Myla must forge herself from studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. When news of her 300th kill makes her a natural, national heroine, Myla finds herself torn from the bloody battlefields and sent to America on a goodwill tour. Still reeling from war wounds and devastated by loss, Myla finds herself isolated and lonely in the glittering world of Washington, D.C. until an unexpected friendship with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and an even more unexpected connection with a silent fellow sniper offer the possibility of happiness. 
It's going to be an interesting read for anyone who's taking part with us. And if you want to take part, um, you can send us your comments and other recommendations for books for book club at feedback at ami.ca. You can also call us 1-866-509-4545 and leave us a voicemail. And we are discussing this on the last Tuesday of the month, which is November 29th. So uh, tune in tune in at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time for the book club. Folks, um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, when we talk about the books and, and, and you know, ma- making your recommendations, I love that we, Rummy can go all over with it. Uh, you know, we one month we're doing one kind, another month, and that's, I guess, yeah. part of a book club. I always found that the studious thing, if you're in a book club, depending how narrow your sphere is, if you decide to, say, only do sci-fi or, or something like that, um, obviously you're not going to like every single sci-fi book if you have a more broader, uh, different types, different genres you're going to get into, you're less likely to like everything either. You know, if you're an avid book reader, you'll get something out of any book and consider it a challenge if it's one that's a little deeper, a little harder, a little, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe not your interest. So I always found that beautiful about book clubs. Folks, we'll step aside for just a moment because reporter Grant Hardy, he's going to join us. And today it's Wednesday, so he's got the latest health headlines. We'll get to them in just a moment. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita talks to Memorial University researcher Lee Lewis, the creator of the Dialysis Project, about a one woman, her one-woman show exploring her lived experience as an at-home dialysis patient. That's the Pulse, Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, and of course, it's available on your favorite podcatcher and also on YouTube. All the YouTube podcasts being very successful over here. Congratulations to all involved in those and uh, people enjoying them and the new audience that they have found. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muthan over there, and let's bring on reporter Grant Hardy. He's here to talk to us a little bit about the uh, latest health news. It's Wednesday, and we get into this conversation at the top of the program. Welcome back, Grant. Hope the week's well. See if he's there, Grant. We're not hearing you. We'll just see if we'll make an adjustment here. You'll make an adjustment there, and then suddenly he'll come on, and he'll have a totally different voice or something, because that's the adjustments he'll make, so he doesn't even sound like Grant when he comes on. (laughs) We're just working on getting him in here. Yeah, ex- yeah. or uh, what do you call it? Auto-tune? Auto-tune? He'll come, you know, he'll come on. Oh, and, Grant. You know, he'll do people get totally mad weird. about auto-tune as much as they used to? I don't, know. I don't think so. I think people it's just, everywhere now, right? It's, yeah, but I still think people think, ah, oh, it's Mr. Kid Rock Toy. <laughs> and certainly not, but I think that. that is what I heard, no. That's what I heard the most noise, though. Kid Rock, not T-Pain, no. Kid Rock? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's where I heard mm. most whiners about it. Why does oh, the guy well, just use his real voice? Like, why does he just, why has he got to use that thing? Maybe. Maybe. But I also think that it's used more tastefully now. You know, people were and, using that phrase all over the place with auto-tune. Yeah, and I don't know, because I don't know the history of auto-tune. I have to suggest it probably was used a bit more tastefully before as well. And I just I, think it I'm, was the way I of using it. I would definitely think so. Yeah. I, I mean, to where yeah. we didn't even necessarily know about it. It just was that it was there. Yeah. And... 
then we started, wow, I wonder how they make the voice sound a little like that or mm-hmm. subtle. Um, but then Kid Rock's like, oh, no subtle for me. I think yeah, that's... I mean, it, now it's used for much more than just uh, pitching voice for the sake of, you know, making it sound good, right? Like there's right. also harmony and melodizing and like all these kind of pitch shifts where you're manipulating the heck out of vocals and instrumentals using not just auto-tune, but any kind of pitch correction, pitch change. I like how we can sit there and say, you know, a type of music, we can say, oh, that's from the 70s, 60s, whatever. And really, you can do it with even like like within 16 months really you can you can sort of pick a song and say oh my gosh that sounds like when that that instrument was big back in like 1987 and be correct like because people started using something people were producing tunes with certain sound or or hey let's try this on you you know you can almost pick out those times within the decade within a half decade and say yeah. oh yeah that's definitely a song from that point mhm that because it's so of that era like yeah. the even with movies and tv shows like sometimes i revisit tv shows i loved watching let's say 10 years ago which is not even that long ago right oh, but no. the the quality <laughs> the audio quality and i'm pretty sure the visuals and all this stuff and especially because we're listening and watching on such upgraded technology like the the newest the cleanest the clearest technology so when you um you know listen to music on that it definitely sounds different do you ever notice a difference like you said you notice people notice the visuals sound it's funny because sometimes you can notice a difference of a show that was 1988 versus 1993 and that's only a few years later right Uh, and you stop and say oh my gosh or and again Mm -hmm. some of it is you know, the production company, how they wish to produce or the money thrown at it to say, hey, we want a little more of this, so spend the money what on it. What was available. Exactly. But then don't you, aren't you curious about the challenge uh, that poses for people trying to make retro-seeming movies? Like if you're basing something in the 90s or the 80s and you have to throw back to that era um, while Do filming you, or uh, even... film it in that same style? Exactly. You use cameras like you have to be of that so specific. And yeah, and some uh-huh. people will, right? Because they'll say we want that feel, so they'll get the big old cumbersome cameras out. But I also wonder it with now that more of the world pays attention to audio. I wonder if people will try. There's certain things I can tell mm-hmm. very distinct. You know, whether it's sports, whether it's a, a show, and you can tell. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. a show from the even if you don't know the show. You may know that's a 70s show and some of it might be the music and and when they you know when you weren't using the Korg M5 sort let's say or or you were using a full band or an orchestra mm-hmm. um so many of the motion pictures for you know used orchestras back in yeah. the 70s 80s that was the thing to do and they were all big sound to suit those those theater spaces um so you can tell you can really tell and then others you know you say well no I'm doing a western why do I need an orchestra to <laughs> For the sound, but I don't want the Western to sound like bluegrass music of the 1940s or 50s. So I always find it absolutely fascinating the choices made as as and and I'd see this when I did theater stuff with people the choices they would make whether it be music we were uh, using legally or not mm-hmm, <clears throat> for for the shows um and, and and the way you wanted it to feel starting with your pre-show music. Yeah, and I think that people look for it. Like when we're talking, you know, faking or or trying to create things from a particular era that we're obviously not in anymore, uh, people find that stuff everywhere, right? Because now, 
like the nitpicking is so easy and it's so easy to get that out there. I remember watching the last season of Game of Thrones and whatever it is that we were, uh, you know, whatever it was, the discrepancy that people found, it was out there within minutes of that episode being released or of that scene being live um, on cable, right? Where it was like, oh, there's a Starbucks cup. I think that's what it was, actually. There was a Starbucks cup present in this scene and, you know, somebody forgot to take it out. Like, these kind of things are so noticeable now because we're people's ears and eyes are so sharp. You know, I would find for some, too, that so much stuff is hard to find. If you wanted to create, if you said, I really want this feel from 1992, I want people to be able to look and just totally feel, when the heck was this filmed? And that's what I'm yeah. going for. And finding certain things, certain technology, shooting certain ways, with, especially if you dash, you don't want to dash back into the analog stage, boy, uh, it could really, really be a challenge even to digitally recreate that and feel the same, I'm sure, in some aspects. But it's amazing uh, what people get to do. Folks, we've got Remembrance Day coming up on Friday, and legend has it that when thousands of Canadian soldiers uh, waded ashore in Dieppe, France in 1942, one of them was carrying an old Renaissance flag um, that took a long route home to Canada. We're, um, oh, we're having we're yeah. having a, a tough time yeah. <laughs> with sound folks, so our apologies. Uh, uh, we thought we could do one thing. Yeah, I thought we'd do a second, and we're poor Dan's over there struggling as he's uh, That's all right. <laughs> flying Maybe we can uh, talk a little bit, or at least in what time we have, about what Grant was going to bring to us um, for our yeah, yeah health chat today, our headlines. And the first one was about Well Plus Good. Nine bogus nutrition rules uh, wrote uh, that writers say that you should ignore when you go food shopping. Okay, so we're obviously not going to get to all nine and Grant would have done a way better job than I do, but uh, they're talking about diet culture being a big part in why we're often uh, getting wrong messages about living, right? Good living, healthy living, nutrition, all these kind of things. And some of these rules are meant to be helpful, but it doesn't mean that they are helpful for everybody and sometimes they're just unrealistic altogether. So, I mean... We talked about some of these earlier in the day, Kels, about, for example, frozen foods, right? We're not just talking about frozen dinners, right? Hungry Man is what I grew up with. And clearly we're not talking about, yeah, that being a very great healthy alternative. Obviously not. But we've talked many times with Julia Caranches about the um, flash frozen vegetables that you can buy, that the nutrition was preserved and saved in order to bring that to us when we defrost these vegetables. And obviously a lot of it still depends on how you end up cooking these vegetables anyway. You know, if you're going to steam the heck out of them and um, boil the nutrition out, then then that's a loss. But it's another one of these myths, right? Like you can still buy frozen fruits, frozen vegetables that were flash frozen, no additives, no preservatives, and utilize them to the best of um, uh, your ability to have nutritious options available. And probably more affordable. Yeah, I think when we look at a lot of that, and I don't want to eat up all the, just maybe we'll see if Grant wants to bring this to us another day a little more in Mm -hmm. detail because he had his own own thoughts. But we know from talking to Julia Carantius about the flash freezing, for example, of food. It, It was huge that, oh, well, it can't be good. It's just, it's it's the get by, it's the cheaper thing to get, uh, to go further 
And no, that's that's not always the case because nowadays you can flash freeze so quickly that nutrition, as she has told us numerous times, and I know from being brought up on, yeah, it's frozen food. Oh, it's frozen veggies? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know totally that that is it within itself a bit of a, it's false. a misnomer for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing, right? We almost um, turn our head at that thinking, oh, it's not even going to taste as good. But that's also not the case. Like, you can buy frozen spinach, frozen kale, and utilize them for specific purposes. Obviously, you're not going to toss spinach, frozen spinach into your salad. Um, But yeah, there are lots of different things. Here's another one that they say you should probably ignore. And this was myth number one in this article. Only shop the perimeter of the store. So they're saying that the idea behind this rule is based on how most grocery stores are structured um, by the the idea that perimeters are stocking perishable foods like our meats, our produce and all the good stuff, eggs, but other refrigerated uh, goods as well. But the insides are all the stapled processed foods. And experts are saying you could probably ignore this rule because the insides have great options as well as the outside. You don't need to avoid the center aisles like canned vegetables, fish. That can be nutritious and budget-friendly compared to fresh produce. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much around the same line, right? Well, it is. Well, and we get the idea. And I'll tell you the following, too. Number number, uh, three here, or two, excuse me. Uh, People, if you read those nutrition labels, if you have access to it one way or another, and I know with a screen reader, you can just imagine how it would pronounce some of this stuff, but that is often deemed bad by social media standards because we can't say it. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a great way to really miss out on so many things. Everything we eat are made up of chemicals. And if we saw that chemical ingredients, like, for example, a banana, most of us couldn't mm-hmm. even say it. So we would, in theory, following the, this rule, the myth, as we put it, um, people sit there, oh, no, 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 I better not eat that. That's got something too big to to, to, to even say. It's so funny how we'll use lots of words and terms that we don't know what they mean. And people say, yep. you know what you're saying? no. But yeah. now we won't even eat stuff that has terms or words that we don't know what it is like. And yeah. it will turn away from it. And that was a big one for me when I first started to understand or explore healthy eating, healthier eating than what I was doing before. Right. And, and thinking, oh, okay, if I can't pronounce it, put it back down. Right. Like, and especially when you're shopping with um, people asking for, the, for them to read the ingredient list, as soon as it gets to a point of, I don't know what they're saying anymore, I would just put it down. But Since then, we've started to understand, you know, jarred and canned foods especially come with um, preservatives. preservatives. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't always have to be bad preservative, but it's kind of the necessity of actually canning your foods, right? So things like that. Um, Also, just one quick thing is cooking fatigue. Like they talk about utilizing... um, canned jarred and and frozen vegetables for cooking to to tackle for cooking fatigue because not all of us have all the time in the world to cook cook only amazing meals all the time using That's fresh right. produce right yeah. so yeah yeah and we we talked about that too of recent you know it's better to take that time to do to have something even if it's a little even if it's out of that can than to sit there oh well I don't have time to make up this extravagant two course meal and and eat everything that I'm supposed to, fresh vegetables and meat, uh, I'll just bypass or I'll open this bag of chips. You know, take some Mm -hmm. time. Do it right. We'll step aside again for a moment, folks. We've got uh, some technical things going on. We'll see how much uh, things are cleared up. When we return, Margaret Weldon, we hope, will be with us. Stick around. 
from your TV. Enjoy, Kelly and Company. Sastel customers, 555 is the channel location you want to look for uh, to take a listen to the program. And Shaw Cable, 825 for you guys over there. Appreciate no matter how you take us in, folks. Always glad that you're out there listening. In case you want to check out where in your area the best uh, cable location to listen to Kelly and Company is, visit ay.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan. She's at the Home Studio in Toronto. And every other Wednesday, we check in with our friend Margaret Weld, and she brings us In the Know. Life's continuing changes can lead to a lot of questions. Join me, Margaret Weldon, to get your answers, and then you too will be in the know. Margaret, we've been uh, kind of exploring this theme of traveling, and we're continuing that today because we're talking about two inclusive touring initiatives. So why don't we start with what they are and how you learned about them? My goodness, you know, when I plan these types of segments, I rely on my technology, but when it doesn't work, it's a real pain, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, so the two initiatives that we're going to look at today are um, the Wheel the World program and the Travel Proud program. Um, And I discovered them on a podcast uh, that I kind of uh, found by accident called the Go-To Grandma podcast go to grandma podcast yeah go to grandma podcast nice okay okay so what's I, I the thought, go to grandma podcast <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, i thought it was kind of like it was kind of like feeling it and and then there were none says yeah. for a minute exactly yeah. yeah exactly yeah so yeah. what is the go to grandma uh, podcast yeah. the go to grandma <laughs> podcast is um it's a it, it's a it's done by a lady her name is kathy buckworth and she has written a couple of books but the idea is how to be a good grandparent now this is her only only her second season but I mean, her topics range from how to support families who come home with newborn babies to um, kids that may have difficulties in schools because of things going at home or because of bullying or kids that have disabilities or families that are going through changes and even how to support families with non-binary children because she has a, nine, a non-binary child. So, mm, okay. Yeah. Sounds like a really interesting initiative. Now, what is Booking.com? Okay. Booking.com is a travel platform where people can go and, you know, if you want to, whether you want to plan trips around the world or, you know, get weekend getaways or whatever, you know, day trips even, um, it's got all the information you could want about budgeting, planning for trips, uh, adaptable trips, even for people with disabilities. And uh, it's also how I, you know, it's also uh, the uh, platform that not only supports, but really encourages these two programs the the wheel the world program and the um travel proud program that's nice that's great well and you know when you get out there and you want people giving you that feedback when you want people engaged or to know you need something like that supporting so obviously they feel good about it what is uh wheel the world and who created it so wheel the world is um um, it's, it's a travel plan. It's actually a, a travel planning program, a travel training program for people with disabilities so that people who have disabilities can go and enjoy trips and yet get the things that they need, you know, like get the adaptations they need. And we're not just talking about wheelchairs. We're talking about even, you know, the extra help so that whoever it is that's with them, that might be helping them all the time, um, 
you know, can even just take a break. And I mean, I know it's really important for, for attendance and that to take breaks in familiar surroundings, but think about it in unfamiliar surroundings or, you know, just when the routine changes, right? The attendance, the attendance or family members or whoever's going try to support the people, but they too just need a little break, right? So they, they, they teach you the ticks and sorry, the tricks and tips of, of how to get them. Now, the two people that, that um, created this program, one is named Alejandra Silberstein, I think is how he pronounces his name. And uh, the other is Cam- Camilo, Arf- Camilo, and I can't even pronounce his last name, so I won't even try. But Silverstein got into an accident when he was 18 years of age. It was a car accident of some sort, and it left him unable to walk and in a lot of pain, but he didn't want to stop his dreams of seeing the world. So he and his buddy started taking different trips, and on their trips, they realized that there weren't all that many accommodations for people with disabilities. So they started going to hotels and other travel destinations, training staff on how to not only make them feel welcome, but how to support them. Excellent. It starts really, it does start there, right? The the people who experience it thinking, you know what, it's probably got to start here and then, and then continuing it and making that a, a very big picture option for a lot of people. Um, right. How about the Wheel the World Academy? So the Wheel the World Academy is a training, like it's a, it's an actual training program. And I don't know, I think there's, uh, they, they go for different lengths. I guess it depends on what you want to go for, but it's where staff uh, from places like, you know, hotels who are associated with booking.com, but also other facilities and, uh-huh. and things can go and get trained on how to work with people with disabilities. And, wow. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, they not only, um, you know, have to do assignments in that, but I think people with disabilities come in and do the training as well so that you get a first idea of uh, what the, what the uh, needs are and, and maybe how to support those types of people. Well, you look for a little step further than the sensitivity training that's out there, right? You, you, you want people yeah. with experience to be able to speak to some of the things that uh, we're talking about, but it's got to go kind of a little further or more in depth, especially hospitality field, because you're going to have people from all different walks of life situations that are going to come through the doors and everybody deserves. If you're saying you make you feel special, you make you feel pampered at this particular location, you want people just to feel respected. And that, you know, you're not, oh, well, what do we do with you? That's right. And not only that, Kelly, but here's an an astounding statistic statistic I I discovered too. The world, according to the World Health Organization, there are a billion people in the world who have disabilities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And over 25% of them will be over 60, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 years from now. And it's actually going to become the biggest travel niche ever because the people are going to want to travel, right? The yeah. technology is there. The knowledge is growing. Well, and, and, and there's less reason to not know stuff because it's no longer, you can say, well, it's very seldom I've encountered a person with, with that disability. We're watching stuff. We're seeing, we're seeing people represented. You're on social media and this is your bread and butter and, and the business you do. Uh, Megs, what is the travel pod pro- program? Travel proud program? Pro- travel okay. proud. I could get proud. my that's okay. That that that's okay. That's okay. Hmm? Um, the travel proud program actually um, caters to members of the LGBTQ community and wants to encourage them to come out because even though we're more accepting of them and in you know a lot of ways, 
there are a lot of places and a lot of hotels and companies who are not. And Booking.com, uh, you know, basically wanted hotels and things to get involved so that no matter who they loved or no matter what their situations were, they were welcome anywhere they could go. They could have any comfort they needed. You know, um, nothing was, you know, the, the, the trip is to just enjoy yourselves and, and the people that you're with. Um, nice. And it, you know, and, and it ranges from putting the appropriate flags up to knowing what the appropriate, you know, language or the appropriate, uh, you know, gestures or behaviors uh, might be. I mean, it's really incredible the specific kinds of programs and initiatives and support systems that are out there for people um, and understanding that place, you know, that where... Uh, the, the challenges that people have and communities specifically are having with travel, with feeling welcome, um, or if they need particular accommodations or just that, that friendly atmosphere to, to make them feel like they are welcome there. Um, so it's really incredible. What kind of training is provided for that one? So this uh, training is, is offered by a program called Hospitable Me. And from what I can understand, it is taught by all members of the LGBTQ community and um, booking.com has a large group of LGBTQ staff that work for them as well. But again, you know, it's, it's learning how to be comfortable with each other. It's learning how to welcome, it's learning what language to use, all the different, you know, little aspects that, uh, um, that, that you could want, you know, um, just basically the appropriate program and how to accept them and, you know, how to respect them. Mm. It's it's so interesting because putting something together for people, you you want people to learn it. You want people to not be overwhelmed by learning it, um, but you want to make sure you cover your bases. And I, I think teaching or, or showing and sharing, it can be such a challenge to um, roll out something like that to train people. It, I mean, it's, it's no fun. You don't want to try to preach at people and make them feel lectured to or anything like that. Um, but you want them to have everything they need to know. You want to arm them with the right tools. And I think making some of the judgments, I mean, hey, we all know what we should be knowing. Um, it's it's kind of knowing it, retaining it, and remembering it's okay to ask questions and make those mistakes. I think our pride really can help hurt us sometimes, Megs. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Right. And sometimes, you know, you're better off asking the questions, you know, and, and, and well, just, because just everyone kind of is different. Text. How you may want something done is going to be different than the way you know, Rumya might feel about it. And exactly. At, at any given any given time or any circumstance. Uh, where can we go to, you know, to learn a little bit more, Megs, about the topics we've covered? OK, today? the go to grandma podcast is actually um, played on AM 740 on Saturday mornings at 730 Eastern. But you can also uh, visit zoomerradio.ca. And you can download, catch her podcast um, with your favorite podcast platform. And you can also visit the booking.com website to find out more information about the travel program and the real world, the real world program. Yeah, we're, we are seeing a lot of different circumstances, right, out there in the way of, especially for those of us in the disability community, we're seeing a lot more presentations in different ways of travel groups as well because of knowing, hey, people want to do this stuff. Right. Oh, sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, and you know what it, and this is the thing. And I, and I think a lot of where a lot of people might've been okay to stay home and okay to say, okay, well, we'll just go here, 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 and here. Cause we know we're welcome. No, I think that's slowly changing. And I think that's going to continue to change over time, you know, especially with the little kids coming in now and um, they're going to get trained at a lot younger. Well, they're going to get exposed at a lot younger age to a yes. lot of things. 
Yeah, and and that's all that's always good because as, I think one of the biggest things we used to always hear is people say, well, I've never encountered this. I've never met a person with, or I don't know how to, and now, you know, less and less are people put in that position where, you know, maybe they haven't, maybe, you know, nowadays, even if it's seeing somebody represented on TV or a post you've read online, there's a little more out there. If you're, if, I don't even want to say if you're looking for it, if you just are observant and pick up things. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's not even like you have to look for a lot of things anymore either. You know, if you even look around the communities, you know, even your neighborhoods or your communities or, you know, wherever it is you go to, I think you'll find a, a lot more, more, you know, things now are just becoming the norm to, to see. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like, oh, we used to see, oh, oh my goodness, there's that person over there who's different because, but now it's, oh yeah. Okay. Well, you know, great and and you kind of get on with your day or 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 whatever it is that you're doing right it's just yeah part of part of an exposure is great but training is even better right like talking and tackling these specific places that you can target and say hey we need more representation here and it's really not about filling a quota it just means that you get more business like if we're talking about how the, the tactile indications you get more business you get more people spreading the word about um what you do it's it's fantastic on all kinds of levels margaret thank you so much this is another great like i said travel themed segment well i'm glad you enjoyed it and um have lots of luck to you this afternoon have a great rest of the show guys thank you And Margaret will be back later on in the week to join me hosting the show. Uh, But in the meantime, you can check her out every other week, Wednesdays, for In the Know. Folks, we'll step aside for a moment. When we return in a couple of minutes here on Kelly & Company, a researcher is aiming to help boost mental health supports for farmers in Alberta. Jim Crisco, he'll bring us up to speed on this initiative. You have to run away? What? That's absurd in the midst of the show. I I don't even get it. All right. All right, if you must. Maybe you should download OO Tunes or TuneIn Radio. Great apps of which to have on your smart device so you can take us with you. Very simple. Just do a search if you do that for AMI Audio. Then if you got to take off between 2 and 4 p.m. and miss out on the live show, man, you're covered. You can listen in on TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program and always appreciate you being with us as we navigate through a Wednesday edition of Kelly and Company, always checking. So funny how often, I think more times I'd like to admit, Rami, I go to say, on a, and just my brain's Tuesday, Monday, yeah, it is Wednesday, <laughs> go ahead, say it, and the mouth is, yeah, navigating through a, 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 a Wednesday, <laughs> but always have to check. I know someone that yeah. never has to check on his Wednesdays when he's on the program because he's just all over everything. He knows he's always aware he's ever present. It's the oil man, Jim Crisco, joining us uh, to visit, and he's bringing to us our regional content report. Jim, hello, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That That's a, a really nice intro there. I wish it were true. <laughs> ever the, present. I, I, ma- many, many days I wake up and don't know what day it is. <laughs> yeah, but... After the first cup of coffee, you start knowing, or at least what week it is, third week of the month, maybe? Maybe? 
Yeah, see? I like that, too. The uh, ever-present Crisco. That actually sounds pretty darn good. It's like some superhero. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as good as somebody who's noted as the Count. I mean, that's an Everflare name, but, you know, Crisco. We can't all compete with the Count. No. And None of us can. The, no. the ever-clear, ever-present Crisco. Hmm. I don't know if you can call oil that, but... Uh, sir, let's start in Alberta, where a researcher aims to per, per, you know, kinds to um, boost mental health support for uh, farmers out that way. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yes, absolutely. This this researcher, uh, it's Rebecca Perk Stevenson. Uh, she's a psychology professor and research associate. And what she's doing is she is uh, they're they're looking at the they've already looked kind of at the mental health uh, issues or challenges that, that farming can uh, farmers can face. Now they're, they're going to put more research into how to provide supports to them accurately or, or, or thoroughly uh, out on the farm. And you know what they the research, when I, when I read this article, it's, it's really very, it was very interesting to me. I, I, I know a lot of people in the farming community. I've, I've grown up with family who farm. And when you read this and you realize uh, the type of work that farming is that maybe most of us don't see. Most of us, even though that I, I know people in it, I don't see this end of the business. And I don't see how really mentally challenging and stressful it is uh, to, to people. They were talking about some of the... Um, uh, the challenges and the, and the, the stressors that are involved. There's, you know, very long hours. Yeah. There's uh, a, a lot of pressure uh, from outside influences like weather, like, you know, it could be illness going through your, your uh, stock. It, it, there's so many things and, and it really translates into, uh, th these are shocking numbers to me. 35% farmers, this is from two, 2020, 35% of farmers are experiencing depression 57% anxiety and 76% moderate to high stress. Yeah. And as of and uh, 2021 st uh, study reported that nearly 30%, 30% of Canadian farmers had suicidal thoughts in the previous year. Wow. Oh man. Jim, you know, one of the things that we always depict farmers as in in a lot of what we see, what we know, and you mentioned it with the long hours. We obviously understand the challenges that that weather can bring, um, illness can bring, but also the isolation. We see a lot of people up before the sun's up, of course, to start the day on a farm. But who do you talk to when things are going rough? When you are feeling, uh, when you know, starting your day and ending your day in the dark, but even through your day. Working a machine, you're 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 working your field. Yeah, you know, even if there are other people working the farm, there's a lot of isolation. You, you know what? Uh, that's bang on, Kelly. And it, it actually appeared in their study where they talk about the fact that the, when they're looking at at even providing support or administering services to these to these folks, they're isolated. They're isolated on their farm. Sometimes they don't even have neighbors that are close by. Sometimes, as you said, you might have other people working on the farm, but they're not near you. So they don't have that interaction or even the ability um, sometimes to, to get uh, support because they're all alone. Yeah. So these are, you know, that's a very, very valid, uh, valid thing. Uh, the other thing, 
too is you know it's a business uh, and these folks are running a business and and the pressures can also stem from um you know even mm. what they intend to do with the business right like the uh the succession plan on it and such all of these are are pressures on these on the farmers really the, uh, and well and, and you know we talk all of us about working from home how wonderful but we also heard that a lot that a lot of people and I'm sorry I was thinking about this and it's just like wow my goodness we think so much about how well you're working from home boy it's great but lonely and you think about people this is the career this is what a lot of people were, were are are carrying on a farm that may be third fifth generation for all we know mm-hmm. and you wonder about how much is accumulative Absolutely. And it might be what they were raised in of, uh, you know, there, there's this sort of romantic image of, of the farmers being stoic and hardworking and, and, uh, you know, self-sufficient and, and that's a lot of pressure. And, and it's, it's, you know, the farms are getting bigger, there's more land to, to farm. They were talking in, in the, in the, um, the article about, the, you know, when it comes to, to even rem- uh, taking your crops out in the fall, it could be 14 hour days. They're, I mean, those are, you have to do it while the weather's good. So um, they came back with some stress management tips for farmers, but they could really, really apply to all of us. Uh, the first one was get some shut-eye. Uh, make sure you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep uh, per night. Uh, eat smart. So don't rely on coffee to keep you going, which many of us do. Uh, and take a break. Like find something that you do outside of your uh, of your work that's interesting, a hobby or uh, you know, could be fishing, hunting. They're they're saying, you know, helping coach coach a youth sports team, something that is not in your line of work that gets you out and gets your mind working on something else for a change. So, all good advice for all of us. It is definitely, and um, as per usual, the consideration of this at all is such huge news. Um, so we'll keep posted on that and, and appreciate the initiatives. We're sticking to Alberta for the next story, Jim. Stratcona County recently introduced its three new ambassadors for the 2023 Special Olympics, uh, Alberta Winter Games. So who are the ambassadors and what do we need to know about them? Yes, these are our three athletes from Alberta. Uh, they're, the first one is Madison Bailey Borges. Second one is Declan Fawcett. And the third one is Evan James. And so uh, the, the um, Special Olympics Winter, Alberta Winter Games are going to be here February 24th and t- to 26th uh, at Strathcona County, which is just uh, on the outskirts of Edmonton here. So very close by. Um, and these are our... our uh, really accomplished athletes already in 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 the Special Olympics. Uh, uh, Madison is um, uh, Madison is a, a figure skater. Uh, she, she also uh, competed in golf, and she enjoys soccer and snowshoeing. So, uh, Declan is uh, he's from Saint Albert, which is close by. Uh, he he his sports are floor hockey, bowling, curling, and golf. And Evan, uh, who is from Parkland County, so this is his home turf here. Uh, his sports are speed skating, floor hockey, soccer, softball, track and field, swimming, and cross-country skiing. So uh, a ton of sports. It, it always amazes me that these athletes um, are usually multi-sports. Uh, I know. Yeah. Like, I can't do one thing right, and they've got <laughs> Multiple, <stuff> right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, that's oh, awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. Uh, Jim, 
can we skip over to Manitoba, uh, where a group hosting the Accessible Sport Expo is worried about the game day traffic at the CFL Western Final may impact the uh, smooth exit of their attendees. What are their concerns? Well, here's what's happening. On on Sunday, the CFL Western Final. So the uh, the, the, the Winnipeg um, Blue Bombers are going to be facing uh, the BC Lions for the Western final. And what happened was there's an expo. Uh, it's a, a showcasing multiple accessible sports uh, for people living with disability is happening at the nearby investors group athletic center, which is in the same sort of complex as the, uh, as the game is going to be or near it. And uh, it will end just 90 minutes before the kickoff of the game. And the concern is that the people leaving the expo, who many, uh, you know, will be from the disability community, many of them will have, you know, paratransit um, or different ride options coming to pick them up. There'll be a congestion and there'll be a difficulty getting out of the expo because the game will be filling up. And especially for, you know, when it comes to a a, a game like this, which is a, a, a Western final, it's a it's a playoff game. You're, the crowd tends to show up a bit earlier. There's usually stuff going on uh, in advance. So now they're trying to figure it out. And and the, the, the expo has been booked since August, and they were aware that there might be a game happening this day. But um, they're, you know, they've tried to, they've moved the, the start time a little bit. They've already shortened the expo a bit. So they lost one of the, uh, the, the demonstrations, which I think was going to be uh, sledge hockey. Uh, they've already had to drop that, so they're kind of up against the wall, and they're saying we'd really like the, you know, the, the, the CFL to help us out on this, uh, to make sure that um, that especially the the, the transit and such uh, is uninterrupted for the people leaving the expo. So right now, actually, there's not a lot of solutions other than no, um, you know, they're they're trying to look at it and trying to make sure that there's there's free access. Wow. 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 You just hope people are safe. You hope people aren't pushed to where they're waiting on their rides and it backs up the whole paratransit system or the accessibility by volumes of people for, for conventional transit. Jim, we'll keep an eye and hopefully we will hear something and hopefully CFL will be in there to do what they can to support and help uh, without inconveniencing those folks or the people attending the game. Thanks pal. Thank you. Take care guys. Our content development specialist joined us on Wednesdays and Fridays right here on Kelly and Company. In the next hour of the program, November 14th is recognized as World Diabetes Day by Health Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe will be here to answer some questions about diabetes for us. Plus, we flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy on What in the World. But up next, the man checks in himself for his first time this week, producer Bill Shackleton with The Buzz. Stand by. We step into the buzz with Bill in just a moment. Rumya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of Kelly and Company, and you out there, wherever you're listening in around the world. 
Amazing to have you with us. Appreciate it. Now, I'm going to go back here and mention the best of the buzz just dropped this past Saturday. And you can uh, simply, using your favorite podcast platform, do a search and find the best of the buzz. Or you just go in and look for AMI uh, Audio Exclusives and the best of the buzz, which drops once a month. Uh, can be found. Now, this past Saturday, Bill tells us about citizens in Japan who may be losing their health insurance if they do not purchase digital IDs. I remember that conversation. Very interesting one. Meanwhile, in Europe, restaurants began to combat the energy crisis by participating in a Dining in the Dark campaign. So check those out on the Best of the Buzz. Bill joins us, though, on the program, so we can put that Best of the Buzz together throughout the month right here on Kelly and Company at the top of our second hour, Wednesday through Friday. Shackadoodle, welcome back. How are you? Doing good. <clears throat> Doing good. How are you guys? We're feeling pretty good today. It's an interesting show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um I want to start with this one, which is really interesting. Scrap, he in documentary looks at what happens to old airline streetcars and phone booths. That's an interesting a very, threesome there. Airline yes, streetcars and phone booths. And ships. <laughs> and ships. ships. Some big items and some little um, things. Well, uh, not so much the little things. You might You might have been wondering what happens to these big items that you can't put in your recycle bin. So there is a documentary that has been released. I believe it came out last year, actually. Mm-hmm. And it asks the question, and this is really not about the documentary itself as much as it is the question just asking is, what do we do with the big stuff? Yeah. This, yeah so this documentary is looking at different ways that people are not throwing things away, but repurposing purposing them. Because as they say, the recycling isn't really that much of a long-term option because sooner or later, the things you don't recycle gets into the recycle, it gets into the landfill anyway. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, if you can break them down and use things, but some of these yeah. things are big enough that, you know, how some people take the old school buses, make them into motorhomes and stuff like that. Well, what do you do with an old ship or something like that? Can you put it somewhere and utilize it for so overhaul it so that it, it, it becomes some kind of living quarters or something like that. An old phone booth, you'd think a lot of those would cycle around the world and people would, would use them in, in designs of homes as, as entry this or, you know, going like kind of unique, quirky little things that you could use some of that for, or simply with a phone booth, take the glass out or whatever that is, plexiglass and, and, and the metal, and do so. Like I would think there's ways of recycling stuff like the phone booths. But yeah, yeah, an old ship or an airliner, what do you do with it? Well, I'll tell you what you do with it. Um art is a big part of this. There is a couple in France that have actually taken two ships and made them into churches. Um makes sense, there is makes sense to me. Very, very interesting. Um there's a, a person in Bangkok, Thailand who is actually converting airplanes so people can sleep there, homeless people. Um, there are people that live in these old airlines, yep. which yep. which is very interesting. Well, and and another... same with the church. Like, I mean, there are places yeah, where people would right. love to have a church, can't afford it, or the circumstances aren't there. And if you could put something together like this so people can come together safely, a, 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 a multiple, like people forget, these things are huge. Oh, yeah, they are. Um, 
it's it's all about uh, what what else are they doing with these things? Well, there's a guy that that does refurbish phone booths. Um, it, it's it's all about learning. Uh, you know, we have to have this conversation about repurposing things rather than throwing things away. And yeah. the interesting yeah. thing is, um, I don't know whether you guys knew this, but when after the film was shown, um, they were people that watched it were encouraged to give their old cell phones to the CNIB. And apparently they are, and I don't know, are they doing this, but apparently they are scrubbing these phones and they are putting software in them and, and donate them to donating to people who really need them is, I don't know if you guys know about this. Oh yeah. We've talked about it here on the show. We've been a part of the phone it forward program that CNIB has because this was the goal years ago. It was that goal of, of that, that especially those of us in the low vision blank me that we need a phone and we, you know, how are we going to find a phone booth? Oops. There's no phone booths to find, right? So everybody needs that, but economically it was a challenge. So this was uh, taken on and definitely through corporations, through people saying, look, I want a new phone, so I'll donate it. Well, I guess I'm glad to see that actually people are making use of those phones. And hopefully um, this is a much larger conversation that people will, you'll be probably be hearing about this more and more as we talk about climate change and, and maybe repurpose, you know, some of these items, even the small things, I mean, any, anything mm-hmm. we can do yeah. to avoid filling up the landfill is, you know. Yeah. And it requires so much outside the box thinking because we're already so oh, yeah. much in the box. Like these, these things, these ships, the planes, the phone booth, whatever are already how we imagine them to be. So you have to be able to creatively and uh, I guess productively take apart these things and utilize pieces for other things, right? You're not just making a phone into a phone again. No, but what cool venues like you could really yeah. make out of like an old ship put, you know, or, or the, the, the hull of a ship or whatever. Well, you definitely you could have set it up art. safely. Yeah. And, and I mean, and if you're not too worried about the thing, you put it up, um, you know, somewhere where in a, in a city park where when they do concerts and that people can be out of the rain in a safe little thing. You, like there's a lot of different things you could do. Yeah. I know there's there's it's not as simple as that. There's formatics and that you'd have to figure out. But wow. Next thing, sir. Next thing from uh, we go to magic mushrooms. <clears throat> so magic mushrooms vote too close to call in Colorado. So this has come up where on Tuesday um, they started voting, I gather, and the idea uh, is that they would, if the vote passes, it would become the second state to allow psychedelic medicine, more specifically the chemicals in some of these mushrooms. Um, And and you have two sides of the story. You're looking at proponents that are basically saying that we need to, that that these chemicals in these mushrooms are really good. And they would, if if the vote passes, it would be, you would be creating safe zones where people could be, take these drugs under supervision. Um, Apparently they combat PSD and a whole bunch of other things like that. And then on the other side, post-traumatic, is that we're talking about? Yeah, post-traumatic, PSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, PSD, Um, right. You also have people on the other side that are saying, well, um, it's going to, you know, it's not safe for children. It's going to promote the use of drugs. 
how how what do we know about these psychedelic drugs? And I I kind of think that you might be hearing more about these things. There's there's things we know, things oh, we don't. We already are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's good if it's used properly. Well, this is the thing, right? And we've talked, it's, this is in no way the same exact conversation, but there are elements of parallel for when we talk about safe injection centers, where yeah. a big part of that argument for safe injection centers is, well, let's make sure that people are actually safe. They're okay. They have supervision. They have, you know, um, uh, like, what do you call it? clean, sterile spaces and environments if they want to take part, if they're weaning off. Like it could be for many, many reasons. There's a whole spectrum of reasons why people may want to, why this kind of thing is being talked about, right? And the other thing is, the the word that kind of sticks out for me in this article is decriminalize because yeah of course there are many cultures including indigenous cultures but around the world where psychedelic drugs and substances are utilized for meditation purposes for you know inner healing for all kinds of um mental health check-ins like uh, i don't know gurus partnerships like all kinds of reasons, again, right? And it's not just this shameful um, opportunity. So I'm kind of curious if there are elements of that in here. Now, obviously, hearing about this in North America, it just kind of, we all have to take a step back and say, whoa, you know, what are our own biases about this already, right? (laughs) But it's interesting. It's interesting that it is happening. And like you said, Billy, I think it's going to happen more and more. We're already hearing about it, um, you know, we had the same arguments with marijuana, right? And now we're completely legalized. So, um, and you know, there are so many of these things that that the native people use, right? That we don't, <clears throat> and we don't know anything about. And and apparently they we don't. You know, they yeah. weren't sorry. Um, that that there's so many of these things that we don't know anything about, and they've used for thousands of years, and and they can, exactly so many things that they can, you know. Help out and with. arguably safely, like arguably safely. these things, yeah, these substances have been used with supervision, with guidance, and um, in in safe, controlled environments to 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 heal people, to help people. And if we have no clue, but our biases come from, oh no, no, we can't be promoting drugs. Like that's that's just one side of it. Well, yeah, that's really- and I find it hard because we do promote drugs, right? Medications are that, that is what they are, but they're do. just what we call controlled substances and so on. There's a difference, yeah. And that, however, addiction we we have to be so mindful of medicinal, so, exactly. And there was but a people period who of, consider this as medicinal. Well, that's what exactly it, and a period of time where people use stuff and they didn't have the methodology, the knowledge, they had their knowledge, their viewpoints, used it. We have so many things that we know we can check to, to, to be sure whether something's safe or not and, and really the reason we're using it, you know, not just because somebody on the street needs a hire or, or whatever or right. wants to stay awake, yeah. right? It, 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 there's just got to be, if this stuff is going to be looked at, it's got to be looked at that way and, and safely. But it's hard to argue when we use drugs, other kinds of things, made up or not, as opposed to natural um, and we push them, and medical people do. Uh, with that being said, Shaq, thanks a lot, man. We'll appreciate it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And what we'll be talking about tomorrow is the woman, the, the woman's tall, uh, the world's tallest woman, actually got a chance to fly, which is extremely interesting.
Awesome. We'll look forward to that piece tomorrow. Thanks, Bill Shackleton with the buzz. He'll rejoin us tomorrow on the program. And, And when I do say that, folks, I mean prescribed. I don't mean push in the sense of pushing drugs. I want to make sure I say that probably are are comfortable prescribing things. Uh, we'll step aside for a moment, folks. And November 14th is recognized as World Diabetes Day by Health Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe joins us next to answer our questions about diabetes. Got all sorts of ideas today, don't I? Wow. Now I'm talking about podcasts. Our show particularly, folks, if you want to subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast, just simply do that. Go using your favorite podcast platform and look for Kelly and Company, AMI-audio and Kelly and Company, whatever. But whichever way you do it, folks, we'd love you to take some time to subscribe. Maybe give us a rating and review. Listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. We even throw an audio vanity card on the end of that. But we don't want you missing a moment of the program and the wonderful content that our our contributors and guests on the show bring forward. That's the Kelly and Company podcast, available to you using your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. All right. Well, it's another month, another Wednesday, and it's another chance for us to talk health. So we're getting a chance to ask all of our questions today about diabetes with registered nurse Leslie DePoe. I'm Leslie DePoe, registered nurse. Until I got into healthcare, I didn't realize how many people around me had questions about taking care of their own health. So I'm really happy to share some of those answers with you. Join me for the monthly health check-in and we'll talk about everyday questions about everyday health. Most likely, Leslie, we've heard about diabetes either from someone we know and love or from the news or healthcare professional. But as we've covered many times in our chats, just because we hear a lot about it doesn't mean we know everything there is to know about it. So today's a chance to do some of this learning about diabetes and ask some questions to you. Absolutely. And uh, it's a nice little tie in November the 14th is actually recognized as World Diabetes Day by Health Canada um, and internationally as well. And I really love using these health promotion and protection days just as a chance to, like you said, just ask some questions, bring some awareness to these various conditions and, and topics and just have a chance to have an honest conversation. I feel like a lot of the times we hang on to questions like this and who are you supposed to ask? So hopefully that's mm-hmm. what we'll get to do today. Exactly. Health promotion and protection days. I love that. So we shouldn't be surprised to know that we're most likely starting with a definition. We're going to, but I'm just, I'm going to flip things on their heads just a wee bit. And I want to, I want to put it back to you guys and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll come up, we'll figure out what the definition is, uh, definition is together. But um, let me ask the question of you, because I feel like this is a very common one. How many, how many types of diabetes do you think there are? No wrong answer. I mean, there are wrong answers, but no judgment. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment if we don't know it. Okay. Uh, well, I've only heard of the two, mm-hmm. type one, type two. Type one and type two, but I think there are, I don't want to say subcategories, but there are some rare, rarer versions. If, if Does that sound right? Yeah, that's totally okay. fair. So you're right. I feel like for the most part, we talk about type one and type two diabetes for sure. And um we can kind of go in and, and figure out what, what those look like and what those are. I mean, type type one is uh, is usually connected connected more, pardon me, to like genetics and hereditary. So this is when your body mm-hmm. actually 
can't produce insulin. Um, and it has to do with your body actually destroying the cells inside your pancreas that makes insulin. So it's kind of, a, it's a type of autoimmune disease. It's normally, you figure that one out pretty early, um, childhood or, or adolescence. And for the rest of your life, you will, you will need to take insulin injections. There's no other way to get around that because that is the core, that is the core issue with type one. Type two diabetes, uh, which I think a lot more people hear about, um, kind of fairly or not dubbed the lifestyle diabetes. This is when your body can't, either can't make enough insulin or it doesn't actually respond to the insulin that it makes. So there can be one of two things going on there, which is why how to treat it looks very differently depending on sort of who you are and and what the root cause of that was. So this is something you tend to see um, usually a little bit later in life, though we are seeing this increasingly in, in younger groups of people as well. Um, and there's a, there's a few different ways that one can be managed. Yes, medication is one of them. Yes, for some people that includes insulin, but it includes a whole host of other um, anti-diabetic medications that either affect our, our body's ability to create insulin, absorb it, use it, uh, regulate it. Um, pharmaceuticals are a wonderful thing for stuff like this. Um, and then, of course, healthy lifestyle choices can also play in on that. So the other sort of subtypes, if you will, but ones that maybe we don't hear a ton about um, are gestational diabetes. So this is something that happens to a mom during pregnancy. Um, it usually disappears within six weeks after the baby is born. Um, it develops during the actual carrying of a child. And it's not by a ton of people. It's about 4% of all pregnant women end up with gestational diabetes, but it definitely can increase the risk for both the mom and the child of developing type 2 permanently. Um it can also bring about some really high-risk complications in terms of pregnancy. It's, so it's something that, that's looked for in pregnant uh, females and monitored for as well. And then maybe the fourth and final, we'll call it um, lesser-known subcategory, but is, is pre-diabetes, which is kind of a, a category in and of itself. So pre-diabetics are people um, where you've got high, high enough blood sugar that it's higher than normal, um, but it's not high enough for a diagnosis of diabetes. And understand that diabetes isn't diagnosis of one-time blood ch blood sugar check where we say, ha I got it. You Look at you. It's so hot. I mean, we could all falsely um, increase our, our blood mm. sugar from time to time. So it, it's not a one-off thing. But so um, but, but pre-diabetic is sort of you fall into this higher category, but it's not high enough for a formal diagnosis. Um, and so that's where, listen, if this is left untreated, more than half of those people with prediabetes will have type two within the next eight to 10 years. It can be prevented at this stage as well. It can be managed. It can be reversed at this stage. So it's kind of the pre-stage. So I don't know. I don't know how much we're going to include those. Definitely type one, type two, gestational. And then uh, we'll throw in a fourth category there as well for, for prediabetes as well. Um, so we've kind of covered the differences between those. Um, and I guess maybe just to sort of a, a quick pop review, if you will. Um, so true or false, this is for you guys, are any of those types of diabetes considered genetic? Yes, true. Type 1, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. There's a genetic component to the type 1. There, and, and some people can argue that there is a bit of a genetic component to the other ones, not in terms mm -hmm. of it being inherited, but... We know that there are certain things that put you at higher risk for diabetes, and some of those higher risk things, they can be genetic. So um, right. as you can see, some things here are just clear as mud. Um, so let's dig in a little bit further. <laughs> and, and maybe first off, why is it that we hear so much about diabetes? And the reason for that is it's increasingly common. One in 10 people in the world were living with diabetes in 2021. That's over 530 million adults, and that is expected to rise to over 640 million by 2023. Um, so about, and, and now this is something else to throw in there as well, almost one out of every two adults with diabetes remain undiagnosed 
which is a pretty scary thing. So, yeah. I mean, the majority... I can see that, man. I can see that. Right? I, I and know I mean, of too and the, many people who have found out the hard way. And, you know, and that's just it. And, I, you know, while type 1 is more rare, there are, you know, still there's 1.2 million children and adolescents that, that live with type 1. And, um, you know, as, as you were just saying, Kelly, like, it, yeah, it is it is possible to live with it and not know you have it. And it sounds like you guys have got some um, some experience with that or, or or you've known some people that have kind of gone through something like this. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Friends who have woke up in hospitals or or even been told, hey, something must be going on with you because, oh, I think I'm all right. And being rushed into a hospital, being told, thank God you came in today. That, you know, and that's just, it It really can be such a huge health risk. Um, and they, they're really kind of dis- specific and very distinct presentations of an uncontrolled diabetic with type 1 versus type 2 um, versus gestational. They like they do look very different on presentation. But the bottom line with, with no matter what they are is it is it is a medical emergency um, and absolutely if un, un, left untreated, you know, that has dev- devastating consequences. So, um, you know, it's definitely it's definitely possible. That's for sure. And it's so possible to have it and not know it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is. I mean, you, you know, again, depends on, and this is this is why we're always chatting about having our health team around us and keeping up on our regular, our regularly scheduled visits and our regularly scheduled blood work. But absolutely, it is it is very possible, especially if you're someone who's ignoring warning warning signs or just isn't regularly, you know, up on their own health for sure. Okay, are there any one of these that are more risk of complications versus lesser if untreated or if undiagnosed? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I'm going to say they're probably, I mean, the thing about type one is that so often you're, you find out as a kid, in which case the complications are just that much more um, accelerated because you're a smaller body. There's a lot less room for error. Um, whereas you can make the same argument about gestational, whereas now it's not even one person, we're talking about two and the complications that affect both of those people. So I think it really depends on the state um, and, and, certainly the state you find yourself in and whether or not you've had those leading signs, those, those, you know, warning signs as well. I mean, this certainly doesn't mean we all need to go out rushing to our local emergency departments today just to make sure we don't have diabetes. Um, but there are ways for you to sort of keep an eye on yourself, you know? Um, and I mean, one of them for sure is to assess your risk. Um, actually I included a link that's going to be up on the blog as well. I did the assessment for myself yesterday cause it's pretty interesting, but um, you can actually see where you fall based on things that you can't change. Like there are certain things you can't change. You can't change your age. You can't change your sex. You can't change, uh, you know, the part of the world in which you live. Um, but there are certain things that you can modify and that, and that when we put all those pieces together, we can actually see a nice risk score and tells us, you know, sort of where do we fall. And, it, and if you're higher up on that risk score and you are not up on your regular physical or your blood work, or you've had some weird symptoms, new or worsening, um, like tingling sensations in your feet or in your mm. fingers, in your extremities. Um, you're feeling unusually tired. You're feeling excessively thirsty. You've got to go to the washroom a lot. You know, these are definitely red flags that need to be investigated. I mean, the thing, and I always hesitate when we chat about, like, should we all go running off to a merger or should I just deal with this on my own? I'm always on the fence about this, and I really can't stress enough to use telemedicine that's available to you to have a healthcare professional help triage you accordingly. There are things that you just cannot determine at home by yourself, and it is not fair to ask you to, and it's not your job. 
So I, I really can't can't stress enough, if you're not up on something, if you're not regularly in touch with your GP, if you're having some kind of symptoms you're uncertain about, don't hesitate to use those types of services that we offer here in the province and, and across the country as well um, to help determine what's my next step. Should I be running off to the hospital or am I, you know, am I okay to stay at home? Is this something I can do with my family doctor? Can you tell us more, Leslie, about these um, onsetting symptoms? you know, that you may experience if you're wanting to go to emerge or do that triage and, and talk to somebody? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's some stuff that we can, you know, there's sort of these chronic things that sneak up over time. You know, people refer to your BMI or your body mass index, which is a really crude way of calculating sort of whether or not we think your height to weight ratio is appropriate for your body. So something like that, that's not going to all of a sudden happen. So I often say, you know, emerge, a good way to look at it is these are acute onset things. Um, symptoms. That's a good way to, that's a very rough umbrella for it, but that's where you're going that whether or not you've, you know, been slowly gaining weight and today just happens to be the day where you think, gee, I wonder if this might be a problem. That's not a trip to emerge. That's, that's something you can manage with a family doctor, a walk-in clinic, if you didn't have a regular GP. But when we talk about symptoms like, you know, blurred vision, um, you know, a frequent urination with no real uh, explanation for that. Um, you know, a cut or a, you know, th- those, well, let's start with those ones alone. Blurred vision, frequent urination. I could give you about 10 things I could diagnose you with. Well, you know, right. not me personally as a nurse, but nonetheless, it would fall under both those categories. But that's my point. It's like, you can't, you can't determine that on your own. Your average person just doesn't have those skills and nor should you. It's not, it, that shouldn't be up to you. So those are the types of symptoms where I think, okay, you need to contact a telemedicine, um, you know, and you need to have that conversation with, with a trained professional. Things like, you know, a cut or a bruise that's been really slow to heal. Believe it or not, that can be a really, that can be a sign of, of diabetes for sure. Poor, poor ability for your body to regenerate like that is a sign that your cells aren't working properly. It's very common in, um, in diabetics. It's one of the reasons that we're constantly telling diabetics to be checking their feet and making sure they're having regular foot exams. It's to make sure that we don't miss these little cuts that accidentally would normally heal on a healthy person, but they're not going to heal in these settings and they can, uh, you know, lead to complications. Is that necessarily the time you go running out to merge? Well, to be honest, that's a, that could be a yes or no question or answer as well. You know, in so many situations, I think what you really need to do is, um, you know, if nothing else, if, if you can, place the call, a call to your family doctor and say, listen, can we just have a quick chat over the phone? Help me figure this out. Our, you know, as we chatted last month, our healthcare systems are totally overwhelmed. The last thing I want to do is send you to emerge if you don't need to be there for everybody's sake. But, you know, at the same time, there's so many things that come out, whether we're talking about diabetes or we're talking about more acute um, you know, acute events where it's it's too difficult to ask people to try and determine the stuff on your own. And I think mm. having a hand in that is is very reasonable. And luckily, we have those resources here we can tap into. Absolutely. And speaking of those resources, you've given us several links that we can um, add to our blog, ami.ca slash Kellyco, where people can go and learn more. Leslie, thank you so much, um, you know, ahead of Diabetes Awareness Day, bringing this to us. Absolutely. Thanks as always, you guys. Thank you. Registered nurse Leslie Depoe joining us on the second Wednesday of every month, and that's dedicated to our health check-in. We'll step aside for a moment, and when we return, Grant Hardy, also uh, from our, of course, Vancouver direction, out here to talk today on What in the World, because he's got all sorts of things for us that make us say that. We'll talk to him in a moment.
podcasts from AMI-audio that are available to you this week. Some new ones. Raising Kindness. Ahead of Remembrance Day, Becky and the kids visit a legion in Regina to learn more about the great volunteer work being done there. Also, that podcast is available on YouTube. On Accessing Art with Amy, out tomorrow, Amy speaks with Kim Kitchen of Northern Ontario, who's making art which is conducive to her disability. Download these from AMI-audio podcasts. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show, and every other Wednesday we flip through some quirky stories uh, that uh, Grant will bring to us. We call the segment, What in the World? They make you smile. Some of them really make you say, oh, my goodness, Grant. Oh, my goodness. Nice to have you in for this segment. Sorry we missed <laughs> you on uh, health earlier. But I think this is going to be, speaking of health, a good dose of laughter. Hey, that's always the best medicine, right? I just have to make sure I'm wearing the right stuff here. Do I have on my medical coat for the health segment? No, no. All right, we're good. We're good. Yeah, he's got the goofy hat on for what in the world, the one that boggles Rumya's mind. Yes. Are we really bringing that back? Oh, okay. All right. Oh, it's on its way back, and you know it is, so quit it. (laughs) All right. Um, this is an interesting one. I've got an article from NPR down from our neighbors down south. The National Park Service wants humans to stop licking this toad. Now, going to almost any park, and there's often reminders, right, to refrain from going near or petting (laughs) or feeding wildlife. Right. But not, not... Licking strange animals was simply a given until now. The National Park Service has added tongue contact with the Sonoran Desert Toad among its various warnings for park visitors. As we say with most things you come across in a national park, whether it be a banana slug, a mushroom, or a large toad with glowing eyes in the dead of night, Please refrain from licking, the agency wrote on Facebook this past week. The toad, also known as the Colorado River Toad, is about seven inches in size and carries a weak, weak, low-pitched ribbit sound. But the creature is far from harmless. Sonoran desert toads secrete a potent toxic that can make people sick if they touch it or get the poison in their mouth, according to the National Park Service. Despite the risks... Some people have discovered that the toad's toxic secretions contain a powerful hallucinogenic. Ah, uh, in recent, recent years. I was like, why, why, why? Uh, me Got too. It. I'm sitting here thinking, uh, there in lay, as they say, the rub, or in this case, the, I don't even want to describe what the, to- the tongue action might be, but oh my gosh. Yeah, so in recent years, the amphibian secretions has grown in popularity so much so that the species is even considered threatened, at least in New Mexico, due to collectors who want to use the animal for drug use, according to the state's Department of Game and Fish. And a a number of public figures have reported experimenting with this toad, including boxing legend Mike Tyson. 
Wow. There you'd have the DEAs chasing you down. You'd have the gaming and fishing people after you and stuff like that. Like, how many, how many federal government departments do you need to bust these, these toad snatchers for uh, dealing in illicit uh, toad action? Wow. Wow, that's why. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, Grant. I remember being told, "Oh, don't touch frogs. Don't touch. You'll get. You'll. You'll get a wart." I remember that years ago, of course, in fairy tales and oh, stuff yeah. like that. But not uh, imagining. What about your tongue? <laughs> what about well, the high? You, you know what's funny too is you know we have if you take a look at like the safety warnings on like you know a pair of uh, earbuds. It'll say, you know, don't try and swallow this. It presents a choking hazard. Don't, you know, do anything other than, like, put this in your ear. You know, and Uh you kind of read this and you go, like, well, of course. Like, that just goes without (laughs) saying. But apparently nothing goes without saying. We now have to have a sign that says, do not lick a random toad. Can you imagine, too, if they added to that warning, do not lick this toad uh, in order to receive some of its poisonous blah, blah, but then people would do it even more, probably. Like, oh, oh yeah, there's hallucinogenins like, oh. involved. Like, like I can't the even. Ticket no, sales and, would skyrocket Well, to and we place. can't, it doesn't even matter about the danger. Like, you know how we always say, well, that's dangerous. Well, doesn't that discourage people? Well, no, that's like people no. who will go and steal Tide the copper pods. wiring off a, off a scoreboard somewhere or any electrical unit, you know, like an air conditioner. Climb up. Let's steal some of the copper. Yeah, but you might get electrocuted. Yeah, no. but it's worth the money. This is worth the high, apparently. Ah, lick yeah. a toad. Apparently. Most literally. Yeah. I can't believe oh, it. Boy. Wow. Well, what else you got for I don't know. May as well move on to something lighter here. So get this. L'Oreal offers workers concierge service to get them back into the office. This is from the Toronto Sun. So L'Oreal is pulling out some stops in order to try to entice workers back to the office, which is like kind of amazing, too. I read this and I'm like, don't they just the manager just says, uh, if you'd like your job, please report to the office at 9 a.m. sharp tomorrow. No, apparently they're taking a little lighter approach. So the cosmetics company is offering a $5 an hour concierge service to those who work in the office three days a week. The concierges would do tasks like getting gas for their vehicles, picking up dry cleaning, picking up their pets, and more, according to the Daily Mail. L'Oreal has a New headquarters in El Segundo, California. It has a coffee bar, fitness center, dining area, amongst other amenities. Uh, They say, we're in an industry that's very much people-driven, which is what their CEO, David Greenberg, recently said. There's necessary engagement, creativity, sharing, and learning from each other. L'Oreal didn't immediately comment to Daily Mail about whether their New York office will follow the same Model the company opened its remodeled California headquarters in August to make workdays less daunting and structured. The building includes multiple new seating arrangements throughout the building to allow teams to host breakout sessions or for workers to change up their scenery. They said, "So sounds to me like they're building want to build an office that's so enticing." That you maybe could live there. <laughs> Can you Except imagine? I'm going to take there. the concierge service 24 <laughs> hours a day. <laughs> oh, I would too. You have no idea how many random 
like errands I want to run during the day. And wouldn't that be great yes. to have someone to do it for you? Just do it for you. Yeah, can you Run renew my health card for, for me? me? Right. Yeah. Um, it's I think it's genius. Like, seriously, I think it's such a good idea because most people, like if you've had the work from home life, I think a lot of us are saying, I don't know about going back to the office. And you're really, really hesitant because it's changed. It's so changed. So Oh, it's so changed. Yeah. I, 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 I work remotely 100%. I know you guys are mostly mm-hmm. doing the show from your own locations. But I tell you what, when you go back to the AMI office, uh, if I were you, I would ask for a personal concierge <laughs> and see what happens. $5 an hour, that's a deal. Yeah, I've been trying that, that with AMI, and usually deal. it's followed by uh, a big chuckle and a laugh. And yeah, I'm busy now. <laughs> maybe maybe for some limited services like can you yeah. go down to starbucks for me <laughs> okay well oh man i love it sometimes even the professional errand runners or the professional carriers don't do the best job of getting their work done which is clear in this next story texas okay. students are going to have to retake their SAT exams. Now, it's a very different kind of retake. They have to take their SATs after the exams flew out of a UPS truck and were either lost or destroyed. Get out of here. They recovered all but 55 sheets, according to the El Paso Independent School District, though it is unclear how many, if any, of those recovered were acceptable. El Paso ISD is working closely with the College Board to determine a remedy for El Paso high school students whose SAT exams were lost in transit after they were securely submitted to UPS, a spokesperson for the school district said in a statement to KTSM adding that the incident affects students who took the test on October 27th. The mm-hmm. college board told the station that occasionally test materials are lost in transit and that it would continue to work with the school to ensure that students are able to retest as soon as possible and to provide options for the impacted students. Um, one other interesting concern that I heard from a, well, I didn't hear her, but I read about from a female student is that the exams contain the students' minors, first and last names, addresses, and uh, test answers, which are more popular, more uh, personal than you might think, because we're talking about like essays and Mm-hmm. scores and things that you wouldn't I mean I don't know about you guys I don't know that I necessarily want people seeing my exams so bottom line uh, my spelling's like so bad it wouldn't matter they <laughs> wouldn't be able to read them anyway <laughs> so there yeah, I have my I, own code <laughs> yeah I know but I agree so, yeah it's so interesting isn't it how many like old-fashioned modes of communication like how many offices still have a fax machine that we use and now i find out that like exams are still getting sent 
through the post with UPS yeah. and occasionally get yeah. lost. Like, well, it's, and it's weird because we're so worried about security in so many other ways. We're worried about the protection, safety, you know, students comes first, like, you know, like down to, you know, where you're, well, we have to be sure that sign, we have to check in with a parent to make sure, you know, this and that's happening. So the student doesn't leave the campus or, or any of these different things without double checking and checking again. And yet, no, just throw those in the mail. It doesn't matter. Just their test. Yeah. Results. Gee, it, you ever, you know, someone ever asks like, oh, I need to send something to the student. Can you, you know, pass along their email address? But what are you crazy? And of course we can't give out yeah, that you contact wouldn't do it. information. No. But your no. whole batch of tests flies off the trucks. Oh, well, that occasionally can happen. We're working to make this And kind all of their information. Their their oh, locations, crazy. their contact information, like uh, f- forget the uh, the test answers and you having to redo that, but your privacy concerns, like how are they going to deal with all this stuff? My goodness. <laughs> yeah, especially when I'm they thinking. send you a letter and say, <laughs> not only is your information out there, but good God, you failed. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> don't even know it. You don't even know if you failed. You got to redo it. I beat the teacher <laughs> to telling you, fail, fail. If the teacher passes, you You better still. I mean, you've got a horseshoe at home. Like, there's got to be some luck what there. Are the, what are the odds you think that they'll exempt SATs for this whole batch of people? Yeah, it does not Ooh, yeah. sound like it because it's yeah. talking about retakes, mm. which is a real bummer. Uh, let's see here. We got time for one more. Yeah, it's funny, though. It isn't fair, is it, really, for the do-over, yeah. you know? But yet, on the same yeah. token, it's got to be done. Yeah, Grant, go ahead, man. All right, guys. Social media star Katie Sigmund, 19, who has 6.9 million TikTok followers and more than 2 million Instagram followers, was seen on video hitting a golf ball into the Grand Canyon's Mather Point and throwing her club afterwards. How did that happen, wrote Sigmund, whose claim to fame is literally sharing videos of her golf swings and pranks. Now the National Park says on Facebook, it's not impressed. Do we really need to say, here we are again, don't hit golf balls into the Grand Canyon, its statement began alongside a screen grab of her video. The Grand Canyon said on October 26th, the video was shared by someone on TikTok and users confirm the identity of the star. Grand Canyon law enforcement found Sigmund the next day. Now, charges and a court appearance for the individual are pending. And uh, they point out that this could is not only illegal, but it could endanger hikers and wildlife who may be below. She's now facing uh, potential jail time and a maximum $1,000 fine. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, that's because she's freaking out the people that are down there licking frogs, or toads, toads, excuse me, and getting high on toads, you know, down there. And I, I thought I saw a ball, a golf ball. Maybe that's what we'll see uh. here next. I'm not going to lie, Grant. When you originally brought the toad story, I thought that's what this was all about. I thought it was a TikTok craze that something was going on. What? People are now licking toads around the world? And here no, we go. Can't Someone. can't enough of them. Wow. And, and and here you got a golf swing. Wow, look at my <laughs> cool swing. And that's the craze on social media. Perhaps she can document her, I don't know about the jail time, but maybe the arrest, court, and fine on her TikTok and get a few more followers. Well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll let her, maybe they'll film her 
you know, doing her stroke, knocking the ball through the bars and down the hallway in the lockup. Then whoever yeah. brought her the ball is getting fined too. Oh, yeah, that was it'd, a it'd long like, story. It would be like mini putt. You know, yeah. see if she can get them yeah. right through the bars. Don't touch the bar for everyone that she gets through without touching the bars. You know, it's a day off a sentence. So awkward, right? Yeah. Like you put this stuff Wonder. on social media and you're just having a great time. And then, oh, wait, they tracked you down and now you're yeah. getting yeah. jail time. Yeah, for, for putting the knots on people's heads or, or whatever and the animals that don't really want to keep eating golf balls. Yeah. They're getting indigestion I, from them. I think this is a good story. We're kind of doing like a whole soap opera here. I think one of us needs to like get on this before you know, one of the listeners out there steals our idea. But if we're uh, redoing the, the whole scenario and we have to throw a ball into the Grand Canyon, I don't know. I Look, don't the know. listeners are just going to think we've been licking toads. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the Grand Canyon has those too, right? They would be native to the Grand Canyon area if it's the Colorado. I can't remember the name, Grant, the color, but I remember Colorado and I'd heard the hey. name of that toad more. Mm. Grant, wonderful. Uh, thank you very much for making us say what in the world today for sure. Uh, what in the world? It's one of those days. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. Grant Hardy will be back with us on the program when he brings us lifestyle items on Friday. And uh, we appreciate it. Some real interesting stuff there. Of course, you can go back and check it out via the Kelly and Company podcast. When we return, we'll take a look ahead and see what's going on in Now with Dave Brown. We'll tell you a little bit about our show and recap a little. Stay tuned. If you want to leave us a suggestion for a book for our book of the month, please, or many any comments that you might have for the show, and if you don't mind us putting them on air, do let us know and let us know it's for Kelly and Company. Call us, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545, feedback at ami.ca. If you have questions about anything to do with Accessible Media Inc., feedback at ami.ca. And, of course, on Twitter, you can follow along. She's at All Rams with a Z. I'm at AMI Kelly Mac. And the handle for the network, at AMI-audio. Then you can keep up with what's going on on all the programs and interact with the folks at AMI-audio, at AMI-audio on Twitter. Suggestions, any segment you want to go back that you want to point out to people to for sure not miss? Well, talking with Jim Crisco. And don't mention Grant's health segment. Our health segment. (laughs) Our sort of health segment. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, exactly. Half health, half whatever. Um, No, Jim Crisco talked about uh, Alberta, farmers in Alberta getting some um, support around mental health. And like this initiative, along with other things like the ambassadors for the Parasport Games, uh, all kinds of things going on in Central Region that he brings to us. Always very, very timely and new and developmental information which is great a really really wonderful segment with jim uh and and so many different things and and very informative i I do want to mention we had a really interesting talk about diabetes with leslie depoe today uh as as something you may want to uh, uh, really go back and especially if you're not sure yourself or you need to make sure you have some ideas of what to be aware of especially if maybe it's something new in your life, um, whether it's a family member or yourself, want to get a hold of that and take a listen. And if you need the smile 
folks. Really nice. Uh, Grant really did make us say what in the world a couple of times today for sure during the segment. Even if we didn't say it out loud, you knew we were saying it. And so were you if you were listening in. But do check it out via the Kelly and Company podcast experience. Rum, uh, the gang over at Now with Dave Brown, they're available also via podcast, folks. You can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Their show live on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning. You can catch it over there. What do they have on tap for us tomorrow? So here are some highlights of what you can expect tomorrow um, on the Thursday edition of Now with Dave Brown. Todd Minerson from Movember, Canada, tells us about their 16th annual campaign to raise awareness of men's health and awareness. Now, obviously, Movember is huge, so uh, let's 16th. take a listen to that. Wow. I know. I know. It's pretty amazing and wonderful initiative. Every year it gets bigger and better. Could climate change Kill the Christmas tree. This is a question that's going to be explored tomorrow with Dawn Dickinson as uh, she talks about an article from the Voice of the Walrus that explores this question specifically. Very curious about her thoughts on it too. Karen McGee is going to tell us about Josie Seguin from um, Sudbury, Ontario, who's set to represent Canada at the Special Olympic World Games in 2023. Very exciting talking about all these athletes. Heard a lot of concern about the Christmas tree, uh, especially through the pandemic. It's just yeah. interesting things that are going on. We talk about, of course, about the environment, but availability and people choosing to go more artificial, whether they have their concerns or feel that that's something they should be doing for the environment or the simple disposing of them. So anxious to see what they come up with. That's uh, the pulse. I'm sorry, the pulse. Now with Dave Brown, uh, tomorrow <laughs> at 9 a.m. on AMI-TV. Sorry, show's getting everybody all mixed up. Uh, we're back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We give a big thanks to Dan Panamondo, who's been uh, teching the show for us this week and uh, things uh, dealing with some things. Today, he certainly, certainly earned his pay. Uh, yeah. Double it. Double it, somebody. Like, the guy sitting there, double his pay. It's, it's, you know, like they say in baseball. the concierge service. Come on. Well, sure. Like they say in baseball. It's only money. <laughs> wow. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. On tomorrow's program, Michael Fair reviews the latest offering from the Dark Adventure Radio Theater crew called The Horror in the Museum. The Royal Winter Fair turned 100 years old this year. Gardener Susan Kearney tells us about her recent visit. We know we can always count on that. And, of course, that's the Indoor Agricultural Fair in Toronto. Back Thursday with the edition of The Buzz, Bill Shackleton's Thursday talk. Also, the 35th edition of Wasatchajack Begins to Dance is on now. We learn more about this showcase with the interim artistic director at Native Earth, Joelle Peters. On Accessible Gaming, Debbie Williams features the Game of Thrones theme game, uh, and this is of Clue. And our guest on the roundtable is Toronto AMI reporter uh, Alex Smythe as he joins us. We launch into our Thursday show at 2 p.m. Eastern. Fedora's off to you, and good night. I've been asked before if I've ever fallen asleep. Well, doing Kelly and Company, not too easy. Daytime, we're we're always going back and forth. I have stopped during you know for listening to some audio, 
and think to myself, gee, did you almost nod off? Been listening to certain conversations, especially if we've had extra people, like uh, we've had a couple of occasions in time where uh, you're settling back a little bit more in the segment and maybe not as involved, where I've almost felt like I've I've drifted off. But of course, there's the stand up or raise my stand up desk, and that helps a lot. Now, when I was working for CJACS Radio in Stratford, however, I was doing overnights. I had started working at AMI or voice print at the time doing production work. But for the first few months of that, I was doing nights on Saturdays for CJCS Radio in Stratford. Around 4 o'clock in the morning, I would find myself dozing off, waking up during commercial break, and knowing, uh uh-oh, you missed the stop set. You didn't come in after the last song and give a review of this, Uh uh-oh. And that happened a couple of times. And the problem with that is it throws off the timing. So now you've got to make sure you spend a little more time, if you have that opportunity, at the next stop set just to make sure you kept the, the, the show on track, on time, for the computer. So I had that happen, and then in college, over at Fanshawe, that would happen once in a while if you were doing overnights. But a lot of time, the phone was ringing, you had people who were wanting to talk to you, even at 2 in the morning. So uh, it was pretty good, but you really tried hard not to. Now, I did catch other schoolmates at Fanshawe. I remember listening, somebody was on in the morning. And I think we had had a function, so we were all out late the night before, and they fell asleep like at 10.30 in the morning. (laughs) And I walked in and, hey, wake up, because I was coming in to take over and going to get myself prepared for being on air at noon. Woo! So some of those kind of weird things happen, especially in a station on your own. And especially, you settle back, you relax, and we're in our element, right? That's the excuse I would say. We're, We're really in our element, comfortable, relaxed, having a good time, sort of like listening to a good audio book. Good tunes? Yeah. Rock you off to sleep sometimes. Uh, Can't be doing that. No, I'm awake. I'm awake. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.